doesn't it feel so backwards, right? Because everything that we see on the internet, you know, you Google endometriosis and it's the endo diet. It causes all of this super restriction, which a lot, I've had a lot of clients come to me and I've had to refer them out, right? Because they come to me with like borderline eating disorders because they're told that they they need to super restrict and they need to be vegan and they need to eat only raw foods and all of these like myths about eating for endometriosis, right? When in reality, we could just be eating like our ancestors used to eat. Exactly. Yeah. There's, there's so much orthorexia and it's, Mm -hmm. you know, I was there. I totally get it. And it's a really stressed out place to be. I think I'm lucky because all the clients who come to me, they've, a lot of them have dealt with something like orthorexia and they say they come to my website and they feel instantly a place of calm. Like, oh my gosh, this suddenly makes sense why I feel so bad. And I felt so bad for so long. It's partially self-induced by like everything we're trying to do. Hi, and welcome to the Endo Bay podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea Bree. I'm an ultrasound tech turned endometriosis coach, positivity and self-love advocate, a seven on the Enneagram, and I am a proud dog mom. And I'm on a mission to help you live more positively with endometriosis and be happy in your body. On the Endo Bay podcast, we're going to dive deep into all things endometriosis, mindset, self-love, health, and so much more. This is a badass podcast for badass endo babes. And I want you to leave this podcast feeling inspired and empowered on your own health journey with more confidence and the belief that you too can have more good days than bad. Are you with me, babes? See you in the podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Endometriosis Empowerment Series for Endo Awareness Month 2021. So if you're new to the series, what this is, is two video trainings per week on my podcast, on my YouTube, and in my Facebook group. The idea behind it is that you're going to feel more empowered in your journey with endometriosis after this month is done. So I'm having trainings from top leaders in all areas from excision surgery to nutrition to fertility to hormones to energy healing and it's just going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited to share today's episode with you. It's with Katie from Heal Endo. She is phenomenal. If you do not know her, you need to go follow her. She's heal.endo on Instagram. She's also has a website. Her and I like specifically talk about managing endometriosis and fertility with through nutrition and why it's really important to get back to how our ancestors ate to not only manage our endometriosis but also to improve our fertility. I'm really excited so let's get Katie on. So welcome to the Endo Babe podcast. Katie I'm so excited to have you here. So I always start off having you just introduce yourself and give everybody a little overview of who you are, what you do, and how you've gotten to what you're doing now. Yeah of course thanks for having me. Um My name is Katie Edmonds. I'm a nutritional therapist that specializes in helping women with endometriosis. Um, I'm the the published author of the four-week endometriosis diet plan, and I'm the creator of HealEndo.com, which is a pretty comprehensive website for everything endometriosis and healing, more or less. Um, How I got started doing this is, I think, kind of like a lot of us practitioners and, and folks that hung around in the endo community is. I too suffered from really terrible endometriosis. I was diagnosed um, about 12 years ago and I just suffered immensely. I never had um, advanced endo. I was really lucky to have an early diagnosis, but it just, you know, it turned my life sideways. I had stage two endo, two poorly done surgeries and all of the symptoms that just didn't seem to make sense. I had 
the worst pelvic pain, um, digestive issues. Um, I, you know, I was the, the girl with the joints were falling apart and the headaches and all the things that just don't seem to be associated with endo, like uh, intuitively, but they are. Um, and it was through the process of accidentally finding remission, which is something I had no idea was possible. Like, you know, this is, um, maybe five years ago or so when my endo symptoms started reversing, I was never told this was never talked to me about. Um, I thought it was just something I had to manage for life, but I just got so excited. And it was one of those moments you kind of just want to scream it from the rooftops, like this can happen. <laughs> and um, I decided just from then on, that was going to be something that I did. I wanted to help other women find the same information. And I thought if I just helped even one woman, um, you know, get a little bit healthier, feel a little bit better then um, all the work would be for something. Mm, that's so beautiful. And isn't it, I know like listening to your story, I see like little bits of me in your story as well. Cause it is funny. Like when you start on this healing journey with endometriosis, you don't think that you're going to start to feel as good as you do once you get everything under control, but then you do. And you're like, Oh, God, this is amazing. Totally. I help everybody else, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it becomes like a passion. And that's it. You know, I kind of laugh because, you know, I'm 35 now and I'm, I feel healthier than I did when I was 20. And that was even pre-endo. They just have all these little symptoms that I think in our society we think are normal. Like they're just normalized. We have all these little nagging conditions and issues, but I just put them aside. Just keep going to the doctor, keep going to physical therapy. Something else is falling apart. And today, I mean, you know, I feel old and tired sometimes, you know, having a toddler and being pregnant, but I'd still feel better even now with a toddler and a pregnancy than I did before. So it's a pretty remarkable journey that, you know, it can happen. I do feel like there's many ways to reclaim your health. And I'm so glad that you found a wonderful place too. Yeah, for sure. And I think you do a really beautiful job of explaining endometriosis and just like laying it out in layman's terms for everybody else to understand. Right. And one thing I'm really excited to talk to you about what uh, I brought you on the podcast for is to really chat about like fertility and how nutrition can really affect fertility. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your fertility journey? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, well, it's kind of the exciting thing. I like to talk about uh, fertility journey and endo because it was the the silver lining in my infertility problems, like no one wants to have infertility. Um, but if there is a silver lining, mine was that that was how I accidentally put my endometriosis in remission, like full clinical remission. So I kind of like spent the majority of my endo years really focusing on the endometriosis. And that was through reading and internalizing so much of the information and misinformation out there about how to like, quote unquote, manage symptoms or heal. And it's, I ended up in a very restricted place where I thought the more foods I restricted, the more dirty foods, the more icky things, the cleaner I would be, right? The cleaner my body, maybe the better my body would clean out this endometriosis. And it was a very strange place to be. I, like I said, like my joints were falling apart. My hair was snapping. I was so sick and I didn't realize it took me so long to get there. And part of it was the endo. Yes. Part of it was like, I think the contraceptives and, um, high levels of NSAIDs that I was taking every day. Yes, but I was also doing it to myself through this really limited lifestyle. It was when I started to try to get pregnant with my husband that um, it kind of changes everything, right? Like when you decide you want to get pregnant, it's for something more than yourself. And it's the first time you're thinking beyond you. And I thought, okay, like, you know, I just had my second surgery. I never had a professionally done excision surgery, but I had just um, 
had, a, you know, another kind of poorly done one here in Hawaii. But they checked all the mechanics, like fallopian tubes open. Yeah, you got a uterus. Like you, you have the parts to make this baby happen. So when I wasn't getting pregnant, my thought was, you know, why am I not getting pregnant when it should, right? Like sex ed, basically, it's so easy to get pregnant. Right. So I had stumbled upon this book that <laughs> originally made me so angry. Um, it's a Weston Price uh, nutrition and physical degeneration. Have you heard of it? No, I've never heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really weird book to stumble upon because this uh, this guy is from the 30s. He's a dentist, and he um, he was really surprised that all of his young patients started to come in with no room in their heads for teeth. Right? Like nowadays, that's really common. Like you have your wisdom teeth pulled, and you pop in braces, and you make your teeth straight. But the reason they're crooked, and there's, you know, you're pulling teeth, is because there's not en- enough room in your head for your teeth anymore. It's like a deformity. And he was looking at the parents and saying, well, the parents don't have deformed faces; they have all their teeth. And like these kids, they all have tons of cavities. They're pretty sick. Their parents are really healthy, and they don't have any cavities. So what gives? And he went around the world with his wife studying cultures that had perfectly formed faces, basically, and no cavities. That was the start of his research. And what he found in the process is all these people also had really incredible health. They, um, they were avoiding the big diseases of the time, like things like rickets, which was like a common childhood deformity um, in the 30s, um, tuberculosis. They, were, they had optimal health. Um, and they were having really healthy pregnancies, fertility, and babies. And, you know, if you look at prenatal nutrition, probably in the 30s, it's like they didn't really know much. So there's a lot of deformities going on, a lot of sick kids. And what he did is he analyzed their food and he found out, you know, like this is, it was the start of my introduction to ancestral eating. They were eating all of the things that were nature's multivitamin. They're eating liberal amounts of organ meats. They were eating raw dairy. They're eating, you know, high levels of things like saturated fat, you know, butter and lard. Um, and no matter where he went around the world, they were eating completely different things, right? Like he went to indigenous cultures in Switzerland, like in the Alps, and they were eating raw milk and cream and butter and rye. And then um, somewhere like in Hawaii, he went to Hawaii and they're eating shellfish and limu and all these other foods that are completely different. But they all had in common that they were really eating a lot more nutrients. So it was like uh, 10 times more fat soluble vitamins on average, that's your A, D, E, and K, and then three to four times more minerals. If you put that in perspective, what these people were eating in one day could be akin to what, you know, we're eating in a week as far as nutrients. It has nothing to do with calories. It's straight nutrients, like what your body needs to function. And I was so angered by this book at first, I think, because I'd been told for so long that like the exact foods he said were really healthy, organ meats, <laughs> and like butter and raw, like raw milk, literally. Like I definitely thought that was going to kill you. That's why they pasteurized it, right? right? There's all these different things. And it made me so angry. And in my head, I, I kept thinking about it after this vacation, I stumbled on this book, like it kind of made sense. Like these people, you know, they had really healthy kids for eons. That's how we got to where we are. And it's only a recent newfangled issue that we're having these problems. So um, I kind of threw care to the window and decided, you know, nothing I'm doing is working. I'm actually going to just completely switch everything I've been doing. And this weird vegan-y, vegetarian-y restrictive diet I'm going to throw out the window. And I'm just going to infuse my body with all the nutrients that I cellularly need I'm going to stop doing all this yoga. I didn't realize at the time I had core dysfunction and it was just damaging um, my uterus position more and more. 
And instead I was going to do ancestral movements, like walking barefoot, you know, really strengthen my feet arches and my hips and all these things that seem so unrelated to endometriosis. So I was thinking fertility. Well, in the process of doing that, it was like within a month, this chronic fatigue that I had dealt with for years, like really chronic fatigue. I had a very hard time doing anything. It started to disappear. Like I, you know, it's like the clouds lifted and I saw the sun for the very first time. And it was this aha moment. And that, that point, I, you know, I thought I was cured and I didn't realize I was just starting to feel better. And I'd actually feel a lot even, you know, better decades on, but, um, it was like all of these symptoms started reversing. Like my chronic pelvic pain started reversing. My ovulation pain started reversing. My fatigue started reversing. Like my skin looked better. My hair, everything about my body started to come back to life. And, um, it was a journey and it was something that I saw once I started to understand fertility better because I was, excuse me, so disconnected from my body and my cycles. But I saw my fertility start to come back as well. Um, and it was a process of about two and a half years, but I finally got pregnant at the end of that. So it's kind of, that's a, a, a long story, but it is this the silver lining in the fertility issue is that by reversing a lot of the issues that are preventing, for in, you know, the creating infertility, and obviously there's a lot of issues that can play into it with someone with endometriosis, but if you're looking at the basics of it, the foundational issues, um, they go right in line with healing from the foundational issues of endo. So we can address both at the same time, which is really cool, something I'm passionate about. Yeah, that is like such a beautiful story, (laughs) such a beautiful journey as well. Um, For anybody that's listening right now, like what would those look like? Those basic, like the building blocks, I guess, for fertility and for endometriosis that go hand in hand. Well, I laid out on my website as kind of the the four or five pillars and it's nutrition first and foremost. So that's like, again, stepping away from what we see as you know, quote unquote, nutrition and it like grain bowls and acai and superfoods and like getting back to the basics of what our cells need. So cellular level nutrition, mm-hmm. and that's going to help your endometriosis and create, I call it designer sperm and eggs. Like you want really healthy eggs and sperm and a wonderful endometrium and that all takes nutrients. So the nutritional pillar is there. Um, movement. And I, I try to take a step back and there's so much movement misinformation of like, you know, hit exercises and yoga and this like super intense, you know, kind of, oof, I don't know, we, we've, we've moved so far away. Our bodies actually don't know how to move correctly throughout the day. So that's what I like to say, you know, stop forward leaning, learn how to breathe correctly. There's a lot of core dysfunction. I would say it's probably 99% of women with endo have pretty significant core dysfunction. So rehabilitating the core before you do any sort of yoga or um, more intense exercises, um, being outside in nature more, the toxicity issue is obviously huge and, and kind of an easier one to navigate because it's, you know, it's swapping out your chemical laden body care products, house care products, home products for, you know, quote unquote, eco-friendly ones, toxin-free ones. And that's a lot easier than learning to eat liver, honestly. (laughs) One one and done swap. Yeah. The last pillar is really stress, happiness, um, and outlook because we can be doing all these things. And if you're doing it with a real stressed out outlook, your body constantly thinks it's living on warfare. And, you know, it's easy to do that because so many of us run on stress. It's kind of like our gasoline. And I work with so many clients who I can tell the second we start talking that they're very stressed out. And then when I ask them about stress, they say, Oh, no, 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 it's fine. I don't really have any stress. I'm not stressed about work. And 
we don't realize just how much like the news stresses about scrolling on social media, like create, can create a huge stress response. All of these things um, are preventative for your body wanting to procreate because your body doesn't know stress. If it's like a Roman legion coming in to like massacre your family, which is like scary and dangerous, or you getting really stressed out about um, a social media post, right? Like your body is pretty ancestral in that it sees stress the same way and it responds the same way. And that's like, it doesn't, it's not ready to procreate at that minute. So those are the, the building blocks that I say are the foundations to start the journey from. Yes, that's amazing. And I know like you, you've touched on so many things here that I kind of want to dive a little deeper into. <laughs> um, yeah, of course. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's like one of the things that I love that you talk about is like organ meats and livers and basically eating sustainably like nose to tail animal products. And my husband, Eli is a huge hunter, right? So we meet and like we leave no waste behind. And I don't know, it's just, it, I know that it's beneficial for endometriosis because that's makes all of those nutrients more bioavailable. Right. And so like, mm-hmm. and, like, why do you feel like that that is better than like what the traditional like endo diet or whatever is? Like the the restrictive diet where they say that yeah, no like don't no eat anything, basically starve yourself. Yeah, <laughs> don't eat anything but like fruit and processed foods and grains. Yeah, <laughs> like totally backwards diet. And I fell for it for many years. I was on that, and I think I kind of liked it because it was like super sugar heavy without realizing it. Um, well, I guess that's kind of a few things to unpack there because there's the the hunting. Uh, part of thing I, I think is really cool I guess we you know we're both from rural areas I live in Kauai and my husband is an avid hunter too so we do tons of snout to tail eating that's basically all we do um which is eating you know all parts of the animals to, to an extent um but I think a lot of women don't have access to that type of food so I mean we could take a step back and say okay like sustainably produced food um and and eating all parts of the animals in general. So like the organ meat thing. And I think, well, it goes back to that Western price thing that people have been having healthy fertile cycles and avoiding chronic inflammatory diseases for a long time without multivitamins. And the way they do this is they eat nature's multivitamins, which are in the organs. Like those are really, really nutrient dense for very specific nutrients. Um, like CoQ10, for example, right, is something we're all told to like supplement after a certain age because it declines in the body. And you wonder, well, like, what did people do before you could buy it in a bottle? Well, you ate heart. Heart is rich in CoQ10. Um, liver is a phenomenal source of vitamin A preformed, uh, zinc and iron. And zinc and iron are two things that women with endometriosis are shown to potentially be extremely deficient in, like extremely to the point of potentially using them as diagnostic tools. Um, And then those deficiencies are also highly associated with infertility, as in if you are extremely zinc deficient, you probably can never have a kid until you reverse that deficiency. Like it's that significant, that extreme of, you know, important of a nutrient. And same with iron, like iron deficiency anemia is highly associated with infertility. You know, your antioxidants, uh, you can be eating all the antioxidants you want, but without enough iron, you can't deliver the antioxidants to the body. So even all these studies that show low iron intake is associated with like low antioxidants, infertility, right? Like your ovaries and your uterus need tons of blood to create a healthy egg and a healthy endometrium. So if the blood isn't going anywhere, you have a serious problem. 
So something like liver can reverse these deficiencies. And there's women I've worked with that have had, you know, severe anemia and it's, um, they can't reverse it through pills, right? There's some women out there that have a really hard time doing that. How you can do it is through natural foods, like things like liver and red meat. Um, You know, glycine is a conditionally essential uh, amino acid for both pregnancy and if you have inflammation. So you actually need to be eating it. It it becomes essential. Like you actually need to get it through your diet and you get glycine. You can only get enough glycine through animal foods, like the cartilage rich cuts that you boil down. That's your gelatinous bone broth, you know, Mm -hmm. trending for a reason. Um, But it's also what's famous, you know, in a lot of cultures is really slow cooked meat on the bone where it kind of falls off the bone. And here in Kauai, we eat a ton of Kahlua pork and it's basically the, the off cuts of the pork um, that are super collagen rich. So if you fried it in a pan, it would be so chewy. It would take you forever to eat it. When you slow cook it, it's fall off the bone. You put it in the fridge and it turns into like a gelatinous substance. And so you reheat it again. So these are the types of foods that you, you don't have to think about it anymore necessarily. You're not thinking about, oh, I need to get this nutrient from this bottle and this nutrient from that bottle, like the Jetsons. Like your, your, the ancestral diet does it for you. You think I'm going to eat three to four servings of organ meats a week. And then I'm going to focus on the other nutrient dense things like cold water, fatty fish, seafood. Um, I eat a tremendous amount of fish roe right now. It's like an optimal fertility food. So, you know, cold water, fatty fish, eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then veggies are like an unsung hero as well. Um, it's not talked about as much in kind of the, the ancestral nutrition books. But for something like endometriosis and infertility, you need tons of antioxidants, tons. And antioxidants, what they, well, they do a lot of things. But we're talking about oxidative stress, which is a hallmark of endometriosis. Mm-hmm. What that is, is it's free radicals come in. It's your immune response. And your immune, come, immune system comes in and shoots off free radicals, which are incredibly damaging. They are just like, they're little electrons that are going berserk. And they do that because it's a really good way to destroy pathogens. So if you have like a pathogenic overgrowth or something and your body doesn't want it in your bloodstream, right? Your immune system will do anything to prevent an infection. So it comes in and spews, you know, free radicals everywhere. The only way to stop the free radical is to pair it with an antioxidant. That's the only way. The antioxidant pairs with it because that's why it's damaging something, your tissues. It's looking for something to pair with. The antioxidant is what pairs with it and gets it out of your system. So if you have all this free radical damage that's happening, you're going to need kind of a boatload of, of antioxidants to help combat that free radical damage. So those become really important for endo and then infertility as well. Yes, amazing. And I know, it doesn't it feel so backwards, right? Because everything that we see on the internet, you know, you Google endometriosis and it's the endo diet. It causes all of this super restriction, which a lot, I've had a lot of clients come to me and I've had to refer them out, right? Because they come to me with like borderline eating disorders because they're told that they yes, yeah. and they need to super restrict and they need to be vegan and they need to eat only raw foods and all of these like myths about eating for endometriosis, right? When in reality, we could just be eating like our ancestors used to eat. Exactly. Yeah. There's, there's so much orthorexia and it's, you know, I was there. <laughs> I totally get it. And it's a really stressed out place to be. I think I'm lucky because um, all the clients who come to me, they've a lot of them have dealt with something like orthorexia and they say they come to my website and they feel instantly a place of calm. Like, oh my gosh, 
this suddenly makes sense why I feel so bad. And I felt so bad for so long. It's partially self-induced by like everything we're trying to do. I joke and say like my, my method of dealing with endo previously was just throwing mud at the wall to see what would stick <laughs> like anything. And then eventually your whole wall is covered in mud and you don't know what made you feel better and what made you feel worse. So you just keep it there. So you are just dealing with all the weirdest things of like what you will and will not touch and what you will and will not do. And there's almost no rhyme or reason, but becomes a bit of your a weird religion sort of thing. Yeah. Anyways, I, that orthorexia and that sort of orthorexic lifestyle of obsession with being healthy does exist. Um, you know, it's in the endo community and it's important to address. And that's why looking at it from a completely different mindset, like if you can be so passionate about just being healthy, then hopefully you can just switch that mindset to say, okay, the mud on the wall sure isn't working. So I'm just going to move houses. <laughs> I'm going to try this other thing for a little bit that maybe will make a you know significant impact. Oh my God. Yes. I love that. <laughs> I'm just going to move houses. Perfect. Bye. <laughs> it's time to move out of this horrible house that's stressing me out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So amazing. So how, okay. So for somebody who's listening right now and say that they are like restricting heavily and they're vegan right now, but they're trying to get pregnant and they can't get pregnant. Right. Like, are there any specific, I mean, we kind of just touched on this a little bit, but specific foods that you recommend to improve fertility or to add to your diet? Do you mean like for someone who who's vegan and they like are really morally and ethically against eating meat? Like what would they do? Or do you mean like um, people who are open to it? Maybe both. Maybe they're vegan. Yeah, maybe yeah. they're vegan. Let's start with vegans and then we'll go from there. <laughs> yeah, because it, I mean, it's real. There's people who are morally and ethically against eating meat, right? Like um, I have a friend right now who is, trying to get pregnant. She's been a vegetarian her whole life and she's just disgusted by the idea of eating meat. She, she won't do it, but she does want to get pregnant. So where do you meet in the middle? Um, there's, there's going to be a bit of heavy, heavy supplementation I would recommend. And you know, I would recommend working with someone who, who does, who can help you kind of, you know, wade through that things like zinc, you know, going back to zinc, that it's very, very, very hard to get enough zinc. If you're a vegetarian, um, you have just to meet your daily requirement. Say, say you're not deficient at all. And to meet your daily requirement, they say, well, eat some pumpkin seeds. But you'd need to eat a cup of pumpkin seeds in order to meet your daily requirement every single day. Like it is a huge amount of food you actually have to eat to meet your zinc requirements as a vegetarian. Um, so supplementation then becomes the name of the game because if you have been a long-term vegetarian, I can almost guarantee you're deficient right now. And a good way to look, you can actually look at your nails and if you see white spots, any sort of little white spot on your nail, that's usually to the point that you have a pretty significant zinc deficiency if it's already turning your nails white. So that's that's just one example of looking kind of a little um, at some body symptoms. So supplementation, like definitely get your iron and your ferritin levels checked because um, long-term vegetarians and vegans are just known to have lower iron stores than um, than omnivores, even just like standard American diet folk. Um, so there's going to be testing and supplementation, and then um, the the big the big elephant in the room for me for almost anyone with endo, if they're vegan or not, is blood sugar dysregulation. Mm-hmm. And so so blood sugar dysregulation, uh, you hear it so much. Like, what does it really mean? It's just that you are eating too many carbohydrates without enough, either too many overall or without enough fat or protein. 
so you have these blood sugar spikes. You have big highs, big lows. Um, the symptom, like the zinc deficiency, is white spots. The blood sugar dysregulation is like you're terrified to leave the house without a snack because you know you're going to crash. You get shaky or angry before meals, or you kind of get exhausted if you haven't eaten. If someone told you that for the next week, like you're going to have to just eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner and no other food, you might have a panic attack. It's stuff like that. Like you just constantly need an IV drip of glucose into the system. And that right there creates all kinds of issues. Like so much hormonal chaos is unbelievable. And um, vegans and vegetarians are especially prone to this because the majority of their protein sources is um, grains and beans, which are very, very high starch foods. So, you know, whereas someone like an omnivore, you can have like, you know, a, a ton of low starch veggies, delicious ancestral fats and meat, and you have like a, you know, very balanced blood sugar regulating meal. You won't get that um, for a vegetarian unless they're eating a bunch of tofu, which I don't recommend at all. So there's a book I think called Ketotarian and, um, and I looked through it and it was a, it was a vegan who passionate about, you know, animals and the moral and ethics side of things. And he just felt really terrible. So he had to kind of come to terms with what kind of foods he was going to introduce. And I think he, he did eggs, um, maybe just eggs. I, I, I'd have to go back and look, but it was a really good example. I thought of an introduction to regulating blood sugar, if you are going to be on that. So ketotarian for anyone out there listening, um, on yeah, that level. I, um, Will Cole. Will Cole. There you go. Yeah. Have you seen it? Uh-huh, I have, yeah. The the thing about blood sugar, this is kind of a, a cool example. So so inflammation is just um it's an immune response. And a lot of people don't know that, but it is the first the first step of your immune response attacking something that it sees as a threat or a trigger. Um so a really good example uh, of visualizing visualizing this. I had this happen to me last week, which is really annoying, but when I saw it happen, that was a great example is I had an eyelash fall into my eye and I didn't realize it, you know, rubbed my eye really vigorously, like, oh, why does it itch? And I scratched my eyeball really bad. And uh, the, the eye then became swollen and red and painful. So what, what happened is the eyelash scratched the eye, but the eyelash didn't necessarily cause the inflammation. What that was is my immune system, it sensed cellular damage and it went to the point of contact and swelled it because it didn't know what just happened. Like, are there pathogens that were just introduced? Like, is there bacteria from a cat claw that just got in the eye? So the inflammation is your immune system's ability to um, inflame an area to create such an inhospitable environment that all pathogens die. Mm -hmm. The trigger is removed, right? I run in the bathroom, get that eyelash out, and my eye hurts for a day, but I wake up the next day and it's all done. So that's the second part of your immune system's response is the healing and sealing part of things. Like your immune system goes in and it mends that damaged tissue. It de-inflames the area. It brings your, your healthy eyes back to life. So you just feel totally normal. So that's how inflammation works um, on, a, on a normal basis. It's very, very short-lived. Chronic inflammation is like when the eyelash isn't removed and the trigger is still there. And so if I left that eyelash in my eye and I kept scratching it, I didn't realize it was an eyelash, what would happen is my eye would probably swell, eventually get infected. It could be like half of my face ends up swollen, right? Like if you've ever left like a piece of glass in your foot or something and had it get dirty and it's all of a sudden an abscess and it becomes a whole issue, you can't walk. And it's the glass didn't do that. The glass didn't cause that much damage in the bottom of your foot. It was your immune system's chronic response to a trigger that wasn't being removed. 
So when we look at it, inflammation from immune response like that, you can take a step back and look at the blood sugar dysregulation and say, this isn't just me being hangry. What chronic blood sugar dysregulation does is it damages your body on a cellular, cellular level systemically. So body-wide, tiny little triggers, body-wide eyelashes every day, numerous times a day, depending on how big your blood sugar surge. And why that is, is because your blood was never meant to have so much insulin or glucose in it. Like we've never, ever had so much access to the amount of carbohydrates we have today, ever. Like it's just kind of never ending. We always have, we can have something sweet, something sugary, or, I mean, even you can be very healthy, like, um, you know, the beans and rice thing. There's constant, if you're eating low fat, high starch, you can just constantly have blood sugar dysregulation. So what it can, you know, if you think of it as like nicking your circulatory system with all of that inflammatory glucose, your cells start to turn it away. Um, it can cause all sorts of issues that I had a client come to me um, many years ago. She's one of my first clients, actually, and she's so wonderful. She had stage four endo. She had adenomyosis as well, and she'd been trying to get pregnant for two years. And so I'm no surgeon. <laughs> I'm no doctor. I said, let's look at what your, you know, what are your body symptoms? And she had terrible blood sugar dysregulation, really, really terrible. So I said, well, let's just start there because that in itself is such a huge inflammatory trigger. Your immune system's working around the clock, creating inflammation for absolutely no reason. You can address this really easily. So we got her on a blood sugar control diet, um, a nutrient-dense blood sugar control diet, right? So she's eating all the stuff we already talked about. She's cutting out the starches. You know, she's kind of hating me at the same time. She's like, wow, I'm really starting to feel better. Um, we had her moving more. And it was, she was feeling better and better and better. And three months later, she started to feel pretty lousy again. Um, and we couldn't really figure out what's going on. And she took a pregnancy test and she was pregnant. And that was why she had started to feel bad. It was three months mark of, um, I say it takes three months to make sperm and it takes three months to make an egg. So if you start all these dietary shifts today, your egg that is going to benefit will be ovulated in three cycles time. So that's kind of the amazing thing about the three months. So we, we removed the blood sugar dysregulation trigger with a woman who had dealt with stage four endo and a deno, like yeah. your hopes aren't very high at that point, right? About fertility. And she got pregnant and she has a wonderful boy who's just a little bit younger than mine. And um, it just goes to show there's many facets that go into infertility with endometriosis that if you can get pregnant naturally, right? Like the same thing, your fallopians have to be open. <laughs> Sperm has to be able to meet egg. And there's so many factors that can come into play preventing those things. But they can start to look at the triggers and blood sugar dysregulation is a huge inflammatory trigger we have complete control over. You have complete control over it in your everyday life. You could just cut out starting today and that your body will be healthier for it and more fertile. Yeah. So I guess what um, tips would you give somebody to start to regulate their blood sugar, right? Like first thing that comes to my mind is eating more regularly, right? To make sure you're not getting too high and too low. And then obviously pairing your carbs with fats and proteins and things like that, just to kind of keep even keel. Is there any other? Like, yeah. So well, I have a, a an ebook that I have on my site, and it's really cheap. I think it's like five dollars or seven dollars or something. Because I just want people to do it. And it's called the Sugar Blood Test, and it helps you 
man- go through this whole thing. There's like recipes and it talks about that. But basics are, yes, you want the foundation of your plate to be, I like to say, low to medium starch veggies. So basically any veggie that's not potatoes, peas, or corn, which are like the highest starch. And, you know, my parents come from British lineage. Sounds <laughs> like the veggie choice, right? There's like a side of peas, a side of potatoes, a side of corn and some meat. So you're thinking of like all of the leafy greens under the sun, all of the bejeweled root vegetables, all, you know, your eggplants, your beans, your squash, all of that stuff. So basically every vegetable except for those super starchy ones. Um, And then a high quality protein. So, you know, everyone out there, if I can recommend like red meat is an excellent um, fertility food. And I know it's, um, it's hard to get people on board right away with that, but on my site, I actually do have a bunch of research into why that's not just okay, but it's beneficial if you're interested. Um, and cold water, fatty fish and seafood. I'm sorry. What was that? Oh, I was going to say, everybody go read it. It's great. (laughs) Oh, did you read the whole thing? (laughs) It's like way too long of a blog post. I need to cut it down, but yeah, it's, it's highly researched. So I really dug in to like find out about the red meat endo association. It turns out it's all, pretty bogus but there's real information in there so you can you can read that but um yeah so basically fiber fat and protein and it almost sounds too easy but um but that's what's going to turn the tide and you mentioned like eating um you know I've, I've heard little meals throughout the day but unfortunately if you need little meals throughout the day it means your blood sugar isn't regulated Mm-hmm. And it can take you a while to get there because your blood sugar dysregulation may be so extreme that the idea of, say, not snacking is um, detrimental to your psyche. <laughs> like you think you'll die if you miss a snack and actually putting yourself in blood sugar chaos just to not eat a snack, like having a crazy dip, um, that's not beneficial. So what I like to have clients do is to say three months down the line, I want to be eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner and nothing in between. And that's for a number of reasons that actually helps gut health as well. Like, um, especially for anyone dealing with SIBO, there's something called MMC function. That's probably for another podcast. So you just want three meals a day. You want to drink all your liquids in between. To get there, you minimize snacks. And this is what you do for toddlers as well. You just minimize the snacks so that you slowly are more hungry at mealtime and you can eat more. Um, until one day you actually can make it four or five hours between meals without feeling a blood sugar dip. And that is a big day for a celebration coming from someone who was on a blood sugar roller coaster for probably my entire life. It's like, you feel so free. Suddenly you're not always hungry. Like we always wonder, why am I so hungry all the time? Like I obviously don't need food, but I'm still hungry. And that has to do a lot with the blood sugar dysregulation. Um, so again, something that you can conquer in the kitchen. There's a really easy, um, you know, affordable ebook on my site and then the basics, you know, protein, fat, and fiber. Fantastic. And I'll link that, um, below in the show notes if anybody wants to go check that out. Um, but kind of back to that chronic inflammation that you were just talking about, like how, how does that all really play a role in our fertility? The chronic inflammation piece? Yeah. Um, well, in so many ways, if you, you know, if you take the eyelash trigger example, you know, right. try to focus on that. And it's it, a lot of us don't understand inflammation. Like, oh, it's this nebulous idea of like, I have a code red body, but you don't really get it. Instead, you can step back and say, okay, what are all my eyelash triggers in my body? Because a lot of us with endo have numerous triggers. And instead of just saying, oh, I'm going to 
eat a bunch of turmeric and ginger um, and do yoga, like that's neat, but it's not going to get rid of a gut infection say that's causing significant inflammation. So like um, SIBO, which is, it's highly associated with both endometriosis. Um, if you have endo and significant digestive problems, that should be made clear. Not everyone with endo has significant digestive issues, but if you're on that, that spectrum, there's a high association with SIBO which is a small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And it's a big infection of your small intestine. So you have, um, you know, a gazillion eyelashes in your small intestine, robbing you of nutrients, creating immune chaos. And SIBO is separately highly associated with recurrent miscarriages, for example, and infertility. So if you're also having recurrent miscarriages, well, that could be your big eyelash trigger right there. So you need to actually work with a professional to address that specifically. Um, then, I mean, there's, so <laughs> in our society, we all have so many triggers, right? Like you know. one night of poor sleep is, um, you can actually measure inflammation levels go up. And that's because your immune system should take care of getting rid of all the debris that your body creates during the day, like movement and wear and tear and cells die. Like that's the natural part of your cellular process. Your immune system at night comes in and eats all that stuff up and takes it out of the system. If you're sleeping poorly one night, you can, you can clinically measure the inflammation levels go up. So if you're sleeping poorly every night, you can imagine, okay, there's a systemic um, inflammation contributor right there. I need to figure out how to get better sleep. Um, nutrient deficiencies, that's, you know, that can cause chronic inflammation. Something like poor body mechanics. I mentioned core dysfunction. But if you have chronic core dysfunction and you are doing a bunch of exercises that can literally damage the tissues of your uterus and your fallopian tubes. And it can make your endometriosis worse and symptomatically. And maybe even um, if you looked at it pathogenically. So I'm sorry, pathologically. So there's all these little things that go into making chronic inflammation. So your goal is to start to sort them out and say, which, which, are, which are my main triggers that I address one at a time? Cause you can't address all of them at once. You'll go really crazy. Maybe it's diet for anyone that has any sort of crazy gut issues. Um, go, go work with a professional. And it's really hard because not everyone can afford a professional, right? So it's like a hard recommendation to make there. But it's really important that if you are dealing with infertility or you're looking to get pregnant and you have all these gut issues, you want to make sure you're A, absorbing nutrients. You know, we just talked about just how important nutrients are for fertility. Um, and B, you don't have a chronic infection that is going to prevent you for the next year or two from getting pregnant and you feel like you're spinning your wheels and it could just be um, starting to address that right there. Mm. Yeah, I mean, definitely I feel like any kind of professional, <laughs> most people need to see a professional and it is like really hard because it can be expensive. Um, if anybody needs like, recommendations, you guys can always DM me. Um, I have people I can recommend you to. Um, or you can always reach out to Katie as well at Heal Endo. Um, but you guys just, or you just mentioned like significant nutritional deficiencies. Um, and so I'm wondering like, which of those do you see the most often in people with endometriosis? Um, well, interestingly enough, research, you know, kind of shows that the, the nutrients that women with endometriosis, they're either not eating enough of or they need a ton more of than someone who doesn't have endo because of the chronic inflammation. Mm -hmm. They're pretty much directly in line with the fertility nutrients, the, the ones associated with infertility. So there's, you know, I've mentioned a few of them like zinc, 
iron, um, selenium, uh, iodine, vitamins A, uh, uh, E, C. Uh, there's a host of them, and there's there's quite a bit of research on on some of these nutrients and endometriosis. Um, oh, I'm sorry, omega threes are huge. So there's like um, there's research showing like you know increasing these nutrients in so many ways can even like decrease the size of endometriosis lesions, the size or the scope or the proliferation of them. Um, it can um, it can help bring down symptoms pretty significantly. So there's there's associations with onset of actual endometriosis, progression, pain, and infertility of these exact nutrients. So we kind of have this uh, a good idea of what nutrients you need. Um, and those are the exact nutrients that you get from eating the ancestral diet that Weston Price introduced me to so long ago, which it, for me doing these, this research now, I'm you know, doing extra research for like another book that I'm working on. Um, it has helped me piece together a puzzle of why I was able to get so far healing from focusing on something like fertility, because it's really, you know, our body needs so much of the same nutrients for a variety of different factors, but especially for the immune function piece that you can, you can use those nutrients as, um, kind of a, a landing pad to focus on for both fertility and endo, uh, in so many ways. For sure. And, um, so I know your four week the book on Amazon, like your four week diet plan for endometriosis. Yeah. Follow the, the ancestral eating. So if people want to like kind of dip their toes in that record, I would recommend that book. Correct. Yes. Yeah. And you know what I do in there is I actually, so it, it, it builds you up every week to, to, um, to eventually having a full week's worth of food. And on the fourth week you are doing breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And it's an example of, I went through and not just made recipes, but I, have the, all the recipes together meeting your, your recommended daily allowance for all vitamins and minerals. So it shows you just how much and what types of foods you need to eat in order to meet the marker. Because when you look at, you know, I was looking at some meal plans that just shocked me, you know, it's like the beach ready meal plan. And I looked at a few different varieties, like a ketogenic meal plan, a vegan meal plan, right? They're all over the place, like so much meat, so much veggies. And they were all disgustingly deficient in nutrients. It was shocking. Like some of them didn't even meet 50% of your RDA every day. It was just some sort of sort of goal to eat healthy that didn't make any sense when you actually break it down by the numbers. So what I really want to do in that book is help um, sufferers see that your goal is nutrients more than anything. How do you get that many nutrients without eating, you know, 10,000 calories of food per day? And this is how you choose your foods very wisely. Um, and so I help guide through there. So yes, that's a great place to start. Thanks for saying that. Yeah, of course. Um, and I mean, if you are trying to get pregnant, like, I feel like that would be a great place to start as well, especially since we are, most of us are under or suffer from undernutrition. Yeah. Yeah. I think most everyone in the United States does. Yeah, for sure. Um, this has been such a fun conversation. Is there anything else that you want to share about like endo and fertility and nutrition? I could, I mean, I could probably talk for hours <laughs> about all this. I would say check out my website and then I have yeah. a bunch of resources on the website. So, you know, I'm, I'm not reinventing the wheel. I don't like to say I've just put together a bunch of resources that can help reshape the way we focus on uh, healing from endometriosis. So I have lots of um, resources to go from my site to other, other ways, everything from movement, to nutrition, um, detoxing, you know, things that are really important. 
Yeah, for sure. And it's just, um, her website is amazing. Everything that you post is amazing. And I did want to note, um, cause you said something about like the core dysfunction, like she has a great video on her IGTV at heal.endo, um, that kind of shows that core stabilization, which I mean, I'm a, I'm a visual person. So being able to see that was like super helpful for me. <laughs> Oh, the one where that you show the the low belly pooch yeah. being activated so it disappears. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it to see that visually is really important. I should probably put that on my website at some point, shouldn't I? Yeah, you should. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Well, you're amazing, and I'm so grateful that you were able to come on the show today. Thank you so much. How can people find you? Because I'm sure that they're going to want to dive into literally everything that you say. Um. Yeah. Heal endo. Um, H-E-A-L-N-D-O.com is my website. I am um, quite pregnant now, so I'm not taking on any new clients. But um, if you are interested, I do have referral partners I can refer out to um, for kind of tricky cases. And then um, otherwise, yeah, email. I'm on a social media break that I don't know when it will end because I'm I'm just so happy having <laughs> on social media. So for now, just the website. Yeah. And you can email me from the site. Beautiful, beautiful. And I'll put all the links and to the books and everything in the show notes. Ooh, one last thing. Um, I know you have a book coming out. Do you want to talk about your book at all? Yeah, it's all about, it's, it's titled Endometriosis, A New Way. And it's, um, it's helping bridge the gap between what we know about endometriosis um, in research and like specialists and the literature versus what we know about endometriosis, like us, us sufferers and, you know, doctors and practitioners and some other people that are a little misinformed to say the least. Um, and it is saying, you know, so much like, so, you know, the book helps you separate endometriosis is not like a hormonal disease. Like so many of us just think it's a hormonal disease or a period problem or a menstrual disorder. Like there's just a lot of things we think endo is that it's not. And um, endometriosis is an inflammatory disease. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. It's rooted in immune dysfunction. Um, we talk about how it's um, multifactorial. So there's many factors that go into developing endo, you know, just wake up and have it. Like there's many factors that are at play. And the same thing from healing at it, uh, healing from it, it's multifactorial. So, so few people, right? So few of us were able to go to the doctor and they say, oh yeah, you need birth control. We just felt better and we're healed forever, right? It often takes like a lot of extra steps to feel better. Um, and it goes back to that to eyelash trigger, the inflammation. That's what, it's an inflammatory disease at its root. So you really, it really helps um, sufferers internalize that. It shows just how it's associated with immune dysregulation. You know, your immune system is not just weak. It's actually um, functioning incorrectly in a number of ways. I would talk about epigenetics and um, how estrogen is deeply implicated in it, but how having endometriosis does not necessarily mean you're estrogen dominant, which is a really important facet. I see a lot of women working so hard to bring down their estrogen levels because they think they have high estrogen and they feel really, really bad. And the truth is they could have low estrogen, low systemic estrogen. And um, so they're, they're making their their bodily symptoms worse by continuously reducing estrogen. We talk about bacteria. Anyways, it's huge. It's, 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 big, it's a big book. It's a big project. Yeah. Um, but hopefully that will be out um, in the, I don't know, six months. I'm very close to being due. So I realize it'll probably be off a little bit more. So maybe six months. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll just bring you on when it's released and we can chat about it a little bit because um, I got to read a couple chapters of it and it's so well written and just, 
I don't know, I'm a big research nerd as well. And so I'm like, yes, tell me more. This is amazing. <laughs> um, it's fantastic. I'm very excited for it to come out. Cool. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're excited too. Yes. Well, I'll definitely bring you back on. Perfect. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yes. Well, thank you so, so much. This was epic. You're amazing. And thank you. I mean, I'm obviously obsessed with you and I know everybody else is going to be too. So <laughs> very grateful that you came on today. <laughs> Well, thanks for having me on. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Oh, I hope you loved this episode as much as I did. If you're new to this series, welcome to day two of the Endometriosis Empowerment Series for Endometriosis Awareness Month 2021, helping you feel more empowered in your endometriosis journey. So for the entire month of March, I'm going to be hosting and posting two trainings on my podcast, YouTube, and Facebook group. If you aren't part of the Facebook group, go ahead and click the link below the podcast and join um, to catch all of the trainings and get connected with other women who are in the training and going through a similar healing journey as you are. So excited that you're here and thank you so much for listening and tuning in. And I hope that you do feel a little more empowered in your healing journey with endometriosis. And as always, my DMs are always open. I'll catch you on the next episode. Oh, babe, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Today I had so much fun and I'm so fucking grateful for every single one of you. If you thought that this was helpful or you loved any part of this podcast, I would love, love, love for you to screenshot it and post it on Instagram at Chelsea Bree, C-H-E-L-S-E-A-A-B-R-I and tag me. I would love to see what you're getting out of the episodes. It makes me so happy. I would also love it if you'd subscribe to the podcast and leave a review because that just helps other wonderful endo papes find me as well. I adore you and I believe that you don't deserve to feel like shit. You deserve to have a normal life despite endometriosis. So I love you so much and I hope you have a wonderful day and I'll catch you on next week's episode of the Endo Babe Podcast.